welcome to the Game Raven Review Podcast. I am your host, Sam. And as always, I am joined by some very talented individuals. And in this week's podcast, we're going to be talking about marketing indies. We have some very special guests today. And I would like to start with Alexis. How are you? Hey, Sam. How are you? I'm great, man. Thanks. Thank you for having me. I am doing all right. Thank you for asking. And also, we have Sarah. Hello, hello. Super happy to be here with you fine feathered folks. Now, a little bit later on, we're going to have them introduce themselves a little bit deeper. But again, we'll leave that for the main segment of the podcast. We also have two other people who are mainstays here, which will be Taz. Hello. And Puppet. Hey, hey, I'm back. Puppet is back. Feeling good. Feeling great. Yes, so much better. Yes, I missed you all. And you were missed. And thank you all for being here today. And we will be right back to what we are playing. See you there. Welcome back to the Game Raven Review Podcast with one of our main segments of what are we playing? Pretty much just going over what we've been playing for the week. And I believe for like two weeks in a row, as I will start, I played a game, which if you've listened, sometimes that doesn't happen. Um, but I've played a game called 12 Minutes. It's a little indie game um, that stars James McAvoy, Daisy Ridley, and Willem Dafoe, because they are the only people in that game. Um, <laughs> like literally, they're the only people who voice in that game. And of the twelve minutes, I played about nine hours. Um, because I want to get all the endings, and because I want to know the lore, and I refuse to look any of that up. And I like the game. It is a classic, like click adventure, point and click adventure. Again, rub this against that, see if it does anything. Um, <laughs> and you'll find some weird ways to maybe you may not, you know, hurt a person or two, which you shouldn't do in real life. But in video games, that's OK, because that's how you get more lore. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> like, oh, man, that fire escape would be really sad if it caught on fire, wouldn't it? It's like, well, like I said, put that on fire then. And the game itself, like I said, is I think it's really good. I have some issues with the story. Um, Yeah, no spoilers. I just. Story goes to a place, and I'm like, oh, I didn't think it would go there. I don't know if I like it now. Um, but overall, I had a good time with it. Again, I will probably continue it because I'm nine hours invested, so I might as well continue. Uh, but that is me. So let's move on to Sarah. What have you been playing? Um, so uh, our studio, Astro Clock Tower Studios, is currently developing a game called Crystal, and we've been trying to reach some deadlines recently. One of them was a convention play NYC, which was early August. So uh, all that to say, I haven't had much time to actually game other than playing our uh, exclusive micro build we prepared for that. Um, so, yep, just testing and finding what we can improve upon. And of course, that's a never ending job. So. <laughs> But yeah, it's been good. How was a convention? It was really good, actually. Um, I was I was a little concerned about, um, you know, the, the pandemic and COVID kind of ramping up some more, but they took awesome precautions to make sure everyone was safe. Um, you needed either proof of negative test or a vaccine card to enter, and they kind of were filling out questionnaires every day and mask wearing, of course. And um, so we all felt really, really safe. And then beyond that, of course, it was a, a fantastic, awesome, small indie convention for both tabletop and video games. So um, that was actually the first convention we ever exhibited at, and this was our third time kind of returning. So it was kind of our homecoming kind of thing, if you will. So it was really good. Thank you for asking. Nice. All right. And let's move to Alexis. Wow, what I've been playing. Well, <clears throat> I've been playing Alan Wake, actually. Old uh, Xbox 360 game. Uh, on I got it like a couple of weeks ago, and I played it way back then, but I never finished it. I'm a big Stephen King fan, and that game has Stephen King vibes all over it. Uh, I also tried to start Curse of the Gods, like this new Hades-like rogue-like game but it it just doesn't have the spirit that Hades has. It's a good game don't get me wrong but if you like 
just finished Hades like I did and try to jump on that. It's just, eh, it's 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 a it's okay. But th that are my two go-to games lately. All right, and Taz. I've also played twelve minutes, and I'm playing the complete opposite way. I'm both. Well, yeah, I'm. I you know I played it on stream and it was, uh, pretty bananas, pretty cray cray. Um, definitely looked at some some <laughs> some walkthroughs because if you've played nine hours into a game that would you say had twelve endings, there's a lot of possibilities and sometimes the possibilities will like loop like in like too short of a time. You know, like example, I accidentally killed myself over the light socket in the bedroom. <laughs> And that took like 30 seconds to do. I'm like, well, crap, never mind. Not doing that again. Um, so no, yeah, totally agree. Great game. Um, I've also been playing Naraka Blade Point, which is a uh, new kind of, I think, almost pretty much just about a week old um, Battle Royale that I'm not a huge fan of Battle Royales, but this one um, was very fascinating because it was kind of like very Japanese lore um, kind of... Uh, like anime, not I say anime style, but like semi-realistic um, graphics. The landscape was beautiful. The characters are beautiful, um, and it wasn't so much on like uh, like um, uh, like guns. It's not necessarily based off of guns, but uh, but melee weapons is kind of it. Sure, there are, um, but use but use guns like crossbows and bow and arrows and stuff as like a secondary. Whereas it's all about the melee combat. And so I never played a battle royale that mostly focused on melee combat and has like parkour and it's it was it's probably my favorite um battle royale so far um and it's not really gimmicky it's just there it's simple and it's just like it's 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 just a lot of fun a lot of fun it's a good time and it warms you up with like new new players being mostly paired with bots so it kind of brings you to the confidence to to get to where you need to be in terms of skill as opposed to like playing fortnite where like you can get you know in a in a you know, a lame lobby with a bunch of like top tier players and you're like, okay, well this isn't fun. So it definitely brings you up to that scale, which is fascinating. Um, I also been playing Half-Life Alex, uh, because a coworker of mine lent me their VR set. Um, and I've just been like, Oh, what's some good, I've heard nothing but great things about Half-Life Alex. Let's get into it. And it's, it's, it's pretty bananas. It's pretty crazy. I love how in depth their VR is and the story is great. Gameplay is great. Um, it's probably like my first VR experience at home. I've done it like at Valve and stuff before, but this was like, oh wow! In the safety of my, of my own home, I'm, am I getting attacked by zombies and head crabs? Um, very immersive stuff. Sometimes I forget. I would have to like set an alarm on my Google Home to like bring me out of the 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 virtual world, kind of like in sort of online. Um, but that's what I've been playing. Thank you, Kirito. I appreciate you. <laughs> And lastly, Puppet. Uh, Kirito's Bay. He's Bay. Highly agree. Yes. I have been uh, playing all kinds of games uh, in preparation for PAX West, which is coming up here very soon. Um, and one of those is a cozy game called Garden Story that recently came out. Um, and Garden Story is uh, it's a little adventure RPG um, where you play as a little grape. And uh, he uh, grows up in the kindergarten, a little um, like garden area. But you find out soon that the um, the village that you're a part of is being attacked by this mysterious rot. And so you have to move into town and you have to help, you know, um, uh, the town get healthy again. Um, and I originally thought when I learned about this cozy game that it would be more... Um, uh like farm sim type but there's actually a lot more like adventure in it um you know the first day you get this like little pick that you use like a sword and you hit things and like you have to like defeat this rot and so it was a, it's a little um different than what i was expecting originally but so far i am really loving it i love all the puns on different fruit and vegetables uh, with their names like there's granny smith who's in um in town and she's like this wise old you know apple and you have like elderberry and it's just it's so cute um i do recommend it's super fun um so i've been playing that and trying to get a little bit more um coziness in my life now that the weather is changing 
Um, aside from that, I've been playing Skyward Sword HD. Um, I did play the original uh, Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword when it came out for the Wii. I played it for about two hours and got frustrated with the controls, so then never picked it up again, <laughs> like most people. And so then I recently came back because Skyward Sword HD came out, and I was like, okay, well, maybe the controls are better now that they have you know revamped everything. Uh, nope, the controls are still wonky, um, but if you can get past that, like the story itself has been so compelling and so good. And so I'm starting to really understand why Skyward Sword is in, you know, generally in people's top three um, favorite Zelda games. Um, I I have to say it's, it's, uh, it's making its way up there. I don't like to decide until I'm completely finished with a Zelda game to decide where it lands in the ranking, but... Um, it's looking like it's doing pretty good so far. So um, I'm playing Skyward Sword, um, and that's been on the Switch. Um, and, you know, I always play lots of games, so I'll only mention three. Uh, the third one is Bonkers. It's called Doki Doki Literature Club. And uh, this game came out all the way in 2017. And I have been told to play this game um, because I love indie horror. And it is a... It, at first, it seems like this lighthearted, cute dating simulator with all these adorable, like, anime chicks. Um, and it's just, like, super cute. But in the end, it turns out it's actually a psychological horror game that, like, breaks the fourth wall. <gasps> um, yeah. So, and I, before I got it, I was reading some of the reviews and I wanted to read some of the reviews on Steam about this game. The first one, the top review says, this game is free, but the therapy is not. <laughs> <laughs> and the second top one says, I wanted a dating sim, but I got depression. Oh, good game. Oh, no. <laughs> so anyway, um, I am about halfway through that. It's still pretty lighthearted. Hasn't really broken the fourth wall quite yet. But I am playing that for my um, Spooky Saturdays. So um, I should, uh, it's only like a five hour game. So I should be finishing up next week. Um, but it is um, not suited for those who are sensitive to um, certain content. So if you are looking to play the game, just uh, be aware and be careful. Um, I haven't personally run into that quite yet, but I have had friends uh, just say, hey, just sure you you're you're good you know before you jump in because you won't be good afterwards <laughs> so anyway love that i am streaming streaming that in front of people um that'll be fun next week but those are the three three big ones that i'm playing this week well thank you puppet and as you know yuri is my favorite and you'll figure out <laughs> why eventually okay <laughs> i'm so excited it's it's so fun like interacting with my chat and seeing like who whose um favorite you know club member is who and everybody i've met some people that just jumped in because they're like oh i just love this game and i love watching people play it for the first time and everybody's so passionate about like which girl is the best and it's i love it it's a party it's total party right now and also just fun note Everyone's 18, just so we're all clear <laughs> on just asterisks given by writer. <laughs> just all these lovely women are 18, so no one needs to call any authority. <laughs> uh-huh, just like in all anime. Mm -hmm. She's a thousand. Just because she's like four foot two, she's a thousand. She's a thousand yep. years old. <laughs> all right, and we'll be right back with the question of the week. Stay tuned. And welcome back to the Game of Raven Review podcast. And it is time for our segment called question of the week every day in our discord we pretty much post a question whether it be game related or just trying to see where your brain might be at at that time and if you'd like to join our discord you can go to gameravenreview.com and there's a link to our discord on the page so for this week we have a kind of simple question that kind of goes into what Papa was talking about a little bit earlier with doki doki what do you find scarier atmosphere or jump scares 
Let's start with Puppet. You're going to start with me. Okay. Yes. Um, it's funny. We asked this in the Discord, and most people answered Atmosphere, but I like jump scares better. I think I'm more afraid of jump scares, and it's not when the jump scare actually happens. It's the anxiety of the jump scare. Like, I, I just think it's so scary. Like, I... If I'm in a game and I'm like, I know that there's going to be something like jumping out. I can feel it. I know it's going to happen. And it just gets me every time. And it's just because I just hype myself up too much. Like, <laughs> so in reality, like, this is very true of all horror. Like, you are not afraid of what's actually there. You're just afraid of what you think is there. And so <laughs> that's why I find jump scares more uh, scarier than than atmosphere necessarily. Not to say that like atmosphere can't be scary, but um, personally, I find jump scares far more stressful and far more scary. Okay, all right, all right. Respectable answer. I'll give that a respectable answer. Uh, Sarah, how about you? Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you. It's definitely the anxiety for me of like what's to come. But sometimes the atmosphere actually like adds into that too, especially like music um, like added in and all that together. And I know that if a jump scare is kind of coming, but not exactly when, like you said, um, like all of that combined, I'm just, yeah, be on edge and <laughs> like waiting for the scare. You know, it's the same thing with like haunted hayrides. <laughs> stuff it's like i know i'm gonna be scared here but uh but like i want to do it anyway right like i you mentioned the music music has a huge part of it um and the scariest games to me are the ones that have the music when somebody is like around you that yes. is gonna start chasing you and like i still have nightmares about <laughs> and it's not even a horror game in zelda wind waker um as you're going through the forsaken fortress like you have to hide in this barrel and you have to like avoid the guards and it's this awful like noise this music that happens when they notice you and it i it haunts my dreams still to this day <laughs> like <laughs> yeah especially if you can't see them too right but you, you just hear the music and you're like crap like where are they coming from <laughs> i know somebody saw me they're coming soon you know or like when the music stops then you're like oh uh oh uh -oh. why did the music stop oh something something's gonna jump out <laughs> oh my god <laughs> alexis are you also in a jump scary kind of person no guys you're alone in this one <clears throat> i mean i'm not alone but i'm not with you on this one i mean i find jump scares i i, I don't enjoy them how can one enjoy being scared right but i mean i grew up playing silent hill games the first ones or and alone in the dark games and the first resident evils and i remember playing the first silent hill game and just the atmosphere alone and the same elements that that you are mentioning right the music the tension and everything but sometimes it's just so long that i just had to like press pause and just like move away from the screen for a for a moment just like oh my god i just can't take it it's just i mean and then when the jump scare happened it was kind of like a relief right but I prefer games that rely on atmosphere to scare you rather than just, not just, right, but to rely heavily on jump scares. I'm an atmosphere kind of guy. Sorry. I feel that, though. Like, um, people wonder, like, oh, why, why are your streams always, like, two hours? I'm like, because I'm playing really <laughs> I scary can't, games. <laughs> I can't take them for any longer. <laughs> right? <laughs> Taz, what about you? Uh, yeah, I'm more of a atmosphere kind of guy, mostly because, you know, jump scares are good for like the first hour and some change, maybe two hours of a game. But like, I don't know, games like uh, Outlast or other such things that rely almost too heavily on it. Mm. It can get a little gimmicky, it can like get repetitive, predictable. You're like, OK, I know, you know, homie is just trying to chase me right now again. Uh, <laughs> so I'm just going to burn through this really quick. Um Whereas other games like Layers of Fear or psychological horrors that really uh, are like even like walking simulator horror games uh, capitalize on atmosphere, like telling a creepy story and like, oh, like that monster's not a monster. That's like you, but like the dead version of you that hates you for being alive now type deal. 
which is almost more scary because like I, you know, I come out of my streaming and you're like, oh, okay, bye guys, have a wonderful night. And then I just sit like, you know, ending screen. I just sit here contemplating my entire life of like, yo, <laughs> no, no clown that can just jump scare me can do that to me. Only like yeah. getting into my like steeper psyche is just like, oh no. <laughs> so I am more of a, I guess, atmosphere type of guy. Yeah, I, ladies, I, I apologize. You're going to be on that island by yourself. Um, so like jump scares to me remind me of FNAF again, Five Nights at Freddy's, where yes. its whole gimmick is that it's a jump scare. Yes. And at first, like you look at jump scares and it's like, oh, that was shocking because it was loud and I have headphones on. But was it scary? Yeah. No, it was shocking. Mm. For me, like atmosphere is again for me more and more scarier. That doesn't sound correct. Um puts me in that mood of being scared more because for me if you don't have that atmosphere i'm definitely not going to get scared i remember watching the last key insidious there we go insidious the last key or whatever it was called yeah. lost key something with keys and it was like the first time you watching like a horror movie in the theater in a long long time and like the first jump scare kind of got me but then the second one didn't because i knew once the music went away a jump scare was coming and it would get deadly quiet and you're in this big theater it's like oh here and, and there's the ghost girl appreciate you and <laughs> it was like all right is that and like i'm not really scared but if you put me in the atmosphere of it again even playing how was i playing last week with the, with the rats and the child i didn't like plague style plague style yes like even in those kind of atmospheres where you have your little ratty friends kind of coming at you it's like with the music and me being somewhat anxiety filled because i have this dumb child next to me who keeps talking <laughs> and i really want to just throw him to the rats but it's that moment of like again if the rats just kind of jumped at me not that scary but the atmosphere of i can't move past this the music the mindset that i'm then in to say okay you know freddy's gonna get me the it clown's gonna get me something's going to come at me the old resident evil games that angel or whatever from silent hill that you know silent hills never came out and i'm really sad about that still actually i just thought about no why um, you mentioned that no i'm sorry i'm so sorry <laughs> I just, it just came to my mind like all silent hills yeah. oh, i wanted to see that so bad with pt yeah. but even like pt that atmosphere of like walking around in a infinite loop of like baby crying randomly happening to that refrigerator that was like hanging from the ceiling for some reason that started to like just gyrate for no reason like all that just brought that atmosphere together like i want to see where this goes and sadly i won't but again again atmosphere just wins out to me and that was a lot but yes atmosphere is my <laughs> question this got deep all of a sudden right yeah <laughs> that's what i love about the horror genre is it does it gets down deep like that yeah and you know quite honestly i think it's definitely just like a really good combination if a game has a good combination of atmosphere and jump scares like yeah if i could choose that answer i would choose that answer for sure yeah and hey if you want to answer questions like this again join our discord you can find a link on gameravenreview.com and we'll be right back with our main segment of this podcast. Stay tuned. And welcome back to the Game Raven Review Podcast. We are now at our main segment, which is marketing indies. And I introduced them a little bit earlier, but let's get a little bit deeper into them. Um, Alexa, let's start with you. Tell us who you are and how you got into marketing. Oh my God, this is always the hardest part to tell you guys who I am. So I'm Alexis. I'm based in Buenos Aires, Argentina. So my main language is Spanish, actually. If I don't make any sense, it's because English is not my native language. I'm so sorry about that. Um, I'm actually with uh, the ACS Games team since, oh gosh, 2018. I started as a marketing minion, as an m and we like to call ourselves. Um, and now I am sort of a PR rep and a localization consultant, so to speak. Uh, but I also have two jobs. I'm 
marketing manager for a video game localization company, which is called Terra Localizations. And we have a podcast that we call it Videocast, actually, because we have the cameras on, about video games and localization and memes called Open World. I'm one of the hosts up there. So, yeah, I'm basically in the video game industry since 2018. And Sarah, how about you? Yes, hello, everyone. I am Sarah. I am one of the three leading ladies over at Astral Clock Tower Studios, and I am also our marketing director. Um, I have a degree in communications and journalism with a uh, specialization or emphasis on public relations. So I've been working in the digital marketing space for about 10 years, a little bit over, and specifically in the gaming industry uh, since 2018 as well. Let's start off with the first question we have with both of you. What is your process when marketing an indie game and what's your first step? Um, let's start with Alexis. Gosh, what is your process when marketing an indie game? What is your first step? Well, um, first step is a good way to start. You need to think where you want to go, right? Where you want to take your game. Do you want to make a small browser game where you just, it's like, or you just want to make a 3D action RPG with anthropomorphic cats and rodents and a mutated beasts <laughs> and everything, you know? So all jokes aside, like me mentioning the game that we are making, um, that is a good first step. Like, okay, what type of game are you making? What type of audience are you tailoring your game to be presented to? Um, that's the first step, I would think, and Sarah. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, Alexis. And in addition to that, I'd say start with th thinking about who you're trying to reach, right? So y you're making an indie game, so you could target indie gamers, but then you could break it down even further. Is it a platformer game? Is it a 2D game? Is it a 3D fantasy game? Um, and what I always like to do is break down these uh, groups of target audiences into what we call buyer personas. Um, and you just kind of list for each target audience, like demographics or psychographics or like specific interests or like search habits, these specific groups of people might have. And then when you're creating content, whatever it is, whether it's a video, a blog post, a social post, then you can keep these individual target audiences in, in mind and you can structure whatever content you're putting together to almost speak to that individual group. And that's also a great way to repurpose the same piece of content, but have it speaking to a different audience, right? So then you have more content uh, that you can use because that's one of the big things with marketing is having enough content to keep engaging with your audiences. So um, so I would say that, yeah, that's that's probably where I would start. First step is just breaking down who you want to target and then moving from there. Um, and creating you know your content to reach those people and also let me add a little bit to that because yes once you have like that marketing research done then as an indie dev in my humble opinion you need to network your butt off just just to keep it pg-13 um mainly because uh if you want your game to be played by as many people as possible right so luckily nowadays we're in 2021 and the networking spaces that the internet gives you are tremendous so use your twitter use your discord use your socials not only to share what you're doing but to virtually e-shake hands of the streamers that you want your to them to play your game afterwards, right? Um, that's a good research to do as well. It's like, uh, am I doing a first-person shooter? Just to go a little bit outside of the one that we are making. Um, okay, let's see. You probably have a favorite streamer. So why don't you follow them and follow similar streamers and try to get involved with them? to join their Discord, to join their communities, and eventually, trust me, you will have the chance to... If, if someone likes video games and you tell them that you're playing, that you're making a video game, someone is bound to ask, oh, really? You're making a game? Show me. And 
you're gonna get that place to show your game one-on-one -on -one or to a more niche that you already did your research you know uh to a more niche audience more organically you know from a night to eye standpoint I, I have a question uh, regarding this. It's kind of off script a little bit. Um, I do some marketing for my IRL job for small businesses. And so like, I don't know, for example, we've uh, recently set up a retail space. And so um, we did that process of like, okay, we're going to come up with the kind of person that we're trying to market to or like figuring out our target market um, for like small indie devs. At what point would you recommend um, beginning to do that or beginning to, to think about those people who are within your target market? I mean, I say from, from the beginning, I mean, with any product or service, it can be the coolest thing ever, but in, unless you get lucky with like word of mouth or like it just happens to catch on and you're one of those, you know, really, really lucky people. You, got, you have to show it to people, right? So like the sooner you can think about marketing, in my opinion, um, you, you should. And it doesn't even have to be that in depth, right? If you, chances are, if you're making a product or you're offering a service, it's something that you care passionately about. And like that, that will spread to others, just that excitement. Um, and so you already are part of your target audience, right? So, so it helps kind of to start there too. Like, okay, where else? would I be searching or what other terms on the internet would I be looking for to, you know, to where you can reach folks. But also I say like, it, it used to be where like, you know, traditional marketing is like, okay, here, I'm going to send out this mailer. I'm going to put this ad on the radio and it's almost kind of like intrusive marketing. Now we try to be more about like, like content or inbound marketing, which is like being at the right place at the right time for when your target audience member is looking, right? So to be like as least intrusive as you can while also offering some type of value. Um, and that can just be as simple as, oh, hey, I like that product that I see, you know? Um, so yeah, I'd say think about it as early as you can, um, especially for like search engine optimization and stuff like that, where you're putting together content, even on your website that has like keywords that people might be searching for. Like if that's naturally in the content of your website, it'll help search engines show your site higher in the search search results. And to build up on that, I don't want to, it's not addressing directly to what you ask, Puppet, but if you're making a game that is meant for kids it's also wise to think about what their parents would look for in a game for their kids you know uh if you're on steam and you're making a game for kids and the parents are probably going to buy that game not the kids unless the kids have the credit card information which happens but it's rare and it shouldn't kids ask your parents for your games um that that's something that's a type of marketing that you should do i mean you should like okay i'm making a game for a seven-year-old uh kid what would parents want to know about my game that would make them buy it so it's not just market for always for the the, the player you know for the gamer if you're making a game that the, your players are not going to buy it well market for their parents as well even beyond that too, like like for for indie gamers, you're marketing to players, right? But you also might be marketing to like publishers or like potential investors and stuff too. So yeah, just on that on that same page, Alexis, just thinking about again those various buyer personas and what what would the message to a publisher look like compared to a player, kind of a thing. Yeah, thank you for that, Sarah. Yeah. Talk about marketing and marketing indies. How do you determine whether a campaign has been successful? Um, let's start with Sarah. I'd say definitely, I mean, there are a million answers to this, but it all boils down to what your campaign goal is, right? Like, what are you looking to achieve? Are you looking to get clicks on a paid ad to send people to your website? Are you looking to get people to take some kind of action and track conversions, uh, like a form fill or to get them to like sign up for your newsletter? Is it views on a video? Um, so like once you have whatever those key performance indicators are in your mind, then usually and most 
platforms like websites, um, social uh, platforms and stuff have analytics built right into them. So you can easily then, once you have those performance indicators, you can let the data do the talking for you and you can make adjustments based on, you know, like, oh, this, this ad with this particular creative is performing better or like my 15 second YouTube pre-roll ad is performing better than, you know, my unskippable ad, et cetera, et cetera. So then you can let the data help you make you know, changes to your campaign if need be. Um, and then, yeah, that, that's how we track success anyway, based on kind of what the goal is for whatever we're, whatever campaign we're running. I'm with Sarah 100% and just don't, what my advice would be, don't start a marketing campaign without knowing what you're aiming to do, you know, because it's tempting to go to Google Ads and throw 50 bucks, 20 bucks, just for people to see my game. But to have a goal from the get-go, from the start, uh, that is ultimately with any road that you choose to follow through your marketing campaign. If you don't have a clear goal of what you want, then you're just starting off with on the wrong foot. And if you if you pick, like, if you do do that initial planning beforehand, like, like even like 10 20 dollars can go a long way with like the right video on the right social platform like you don't need a ton of money of course that helps unfortunately marketing is definitely one of the industries where a nice budget helps but you can gain organic exposure with like proper planning and good targeting and understanding yeah who you're trying to reach and with what goal absolutely um to talk about my own personal experience there I have a podcast outside of this one called Sam said it shameless plug is shameless plug, but I spent like 20 bucks on Instagram and got like a hundred extra people just looking at my page altogether where before I wasn't trafficking that at all. And like you said, like this is a small thing. That's a KPI for you. You know, we're talking about this. You did it and you got success. There you go. Definitely. Like it's, and it was so weird. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's going to cost so much money. And like you said, you can put down 20 bucks and it will see a thousand people and of those thousand people, you might get like a 5% return. But even with that, that's more than what you had previously. A hundred percent. Yeah. And like views on your content. I mean, that, that is priceless. I mean, for us and, um, yeah, like most social platforms and like Google ads and everything, you can like set a daily budget too. Like if you are putting funds behind something, so you could kind of help like pace your money and make sure that you're not spending it all like at once, right? In the first day, if you want, you know, you want to run it for three, five, you know, a week, however long, um, the, the platforms will help you kind of uh, parse out your budget, if you will. Now, let's see, what is kind of, I guess, the differences in marketing an indie game that makes it unique versus like a AAA game? Um, Alexis. Well, following up on what we're talking, uh, money for once. <laughs> uh surprisingly enough if you throw money at things you can usually make them better um and that goes for marketing maybe like 90 percent of the time but at the same time people if you do your marketing well whether you spend money or not uh you can get some pretty loyal fans uh while making an indie game because uh, an indie dev relies so much on their gamers, on their players, on the people that support their game, even with things such as Patreon or Kickstarter or whatever, where your target audience, uh, to speak in, in marketing-like terms, you know, actually pays you upfront for, for what you're making. I think that it's pretty, pretty unique. But I think that the core of it is that AAA games or studios or publishers already have, there's a saying in Argentina, when you already have your circus set up, you know, you already have everything that you need. You have your press uh, contacts already ready, already, you know, for whatever you are taking out oh okay i'm just gonna send it to ign i'm gonna send it here 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 boom all of a sudden you have millions of eyes on your content but that's all work and money and uh 
being around for a while, you know, um, that's the main difference, I think. You were, were talking about like Patreon and Kickstarter. I think like marketing in the indie space, there's kind of like this grassroots type of community where like, you know, we're all independent creators and we understand that struggle that goes with that with not having a big budget and with maybe not having a huge you know your name out there already so i think people in the indie space are more willing to like help one another too so like building that community or reaching out to like-minded people and just engaging and talking with people and and i think that is very unique to any um indie market and particularly also indie gaming of course but yeah, there's kind of just that nice community and people who are willing to help one another um, and, and boost messages and get the word out there. And we talked about budget a little bit, too, but what are some of the other challenges you face while marketing indie games in particular? I think for us, it's definitely having, like we have all these plans, right? And we want to meet our audience where they are, but we're limited by manpower. So I think it's just really being able to have the people to manage everything i mean we're lucky to have sort of a marketing team right with our studio but but a lot of indie studios are just one two three a couple people and they don't have somebody that's dedicated to marketing and even having a dedicated you know marketing folks alexis and myself um it's difficult to always be where we want to be at any given time um so sometimes we have to pick you know is posting on Twitter more important than, I don't know, sharing something in the Discord. And that that's just an example, but I'd say definitely manpower and being able to to do everything that we want to do and all the plans that we have. Yeah, uh, pick your battles uh, and prioritize uh, things. And if any indie dev that is listening to us right now and it's half as anxious as we are, that we want to do everything that we have planned out uh, now, yesterday, next week, uh, ASAP. And sometimes it's just not possible. So manpower and, yeah, manpower. That's that's the biggest challenge. I was just going to say, too, like keeping your content fresh and like having enough content, too. Um, because every every platform's different, right? But there's some type of frequency cadence that you'll find what works for you. It's not just uh, the same for everybody. But like, yeah, like how many times you're posting for week per week, um, like what times of day, all of that kind of stuff. You'll you'll find as you're posting more. But sometimes it's tough to to be like, okay, well, like I already showed this same battle with this enemy you know five times already how do i keep it fresh and how do i keep enough content to keep posting like as frequently and as often as you want to how do you all handle negative reviews in my personal experience every time that i see a negative review on reddit especially on reddit uh game jolt or any other social media that we are in, Facebook, Twitter, or whatever. If I spot it first, I bring it down to Sarah first, and we blow off steam together. It's like, how is this person saying this? And after we, I personally take that out of my system, we try to take it and to read it from, uh, from their point of view, right? Because, I mean, we are doing this for players to get their eyes on what we're doing so i mean we always appreciate the feedback if it's for improvement thank you for that we got one for instance that our player wasn't visible in a very dark area one that i remember right now and usually everything that we take out it's working progress from the previous one or two weeks from the devs because that's what we do too. We communicate heavily with the devs to see what can we post, what, where to share it, right? But, I mean, it's all work in progress constantly. So if the feedback is like to grow or to make the, make the game better, and if it's a nice feedback, we usually go, hey, thanks for the feedback. Yeah, we know, or thank you, and 
that's it. If we don't agree, you know, it's like, thank you for taking the time to comment, my friend. Best of luck to you. No, you make a good point, though. Like, I, I try to look at it this way. Like, somebody could see a piece of our content, they could like it, and hopefully say something nice. That would be great and preferred, right? But that doesn't always happen. And sometimes there are people that say stuff that you don't necessarily want to hear. But I try to look at it as, like, well, they took the time to stop, look at what is there, whether it's a picture, a video, whatever, and to like have an opinion on it. Now, obviously, sometimes there's just trolls and some people can be nasty and we hope to not have those people around. But yeah, I always, yeah, I always try to think of it that way, that I'm, I'm appreciating that you're taking the time to give me feedback because it really helps us grow if it's a constructive criticism and something that we can think about and actually put into action, um, you know, to help improve what we're creating i mean the, these are the people we're trying to reach right so like i think of everybody's opinion as valuable again if it's if it's not super 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 mean and just um cruel but uh we, we thankfully haven't gotten any of those and i think that again like the indie atmosphere is very understanding of works in progress and understanding that you know we're all we're all just kicking the can around seeing, seeing what works you know and improving based on said feedback yeah and even not only in in like reviews from players i mean you can grow very very much from even a bad meeting with an investor or a publisher or whatever those kind of like maybe sometimes hard meetings like like you just like log off of your computer you turn it off and you're like oh my god that was terrible <laughs> if you own it and if you take it from a good perspective that can help you change a lot and uh, sarah knows exactly the <laughs> even the meaning <laughs> that i'm referring to i'm not <laughs> so take everything in a constructive way if you can turn it around and make it make your game better then i mean you can't help to get some random person to go hey your game sucks okay thank you we're you're not gonna play the game so i'm not gonna spend time on that because you're not ultimately not gonna play my game but you're gonna get everything in the scope yeah along uh, along those lines um i i wanted to know because because your positions are, are pretty unique in um, what we've seen, because we work with a lot of indie devs who don't who don't have you know marketing teams or somebody who's dedicated to marketing, um, you know from since we're talking about negative reviews, we have talked with some indie devs before, and um, and we talked about reviews and how does that affect you and everything. And so I'm always really encouraging all players, especially on Steam or Reddit or whatever, like whenever you are you are taking the time to write a review, um, please be constructive, especially when it comes to indies, because indie devs, they read that. Um, and so my question for you is, um, like, do you feel that it is easier um, having somewhat of that separation from the creative process because indie devs when they're making a game that's their blood sweat and tears that's their baby they love that um and you are fortunate to have some of that separation do you feel like that separation um can help you and are there some ways that you feel like it it um hinders you i guess Nope. Yes, a hundred percent. I mean, I can speak even even chatting with my two fellow studio owners. You know, sometimes when we get comments, right, I'll share it with with them, and both of them are directly developing the game and um, tend to get feel a little more offended or hurt by those comments. So I try to tell them, like, let let me handle it. I will handle it for that very reason. Um, I don't really see the drawback unless there unless you had somebody handling your marketing that wasn't communicating what that feedback is because I do still think it's important to be shared with the you know the developers but it can be at least relayed in a way that that maybe won't hurt their feelings as much hopefully um but I do definitely think that it helps to have separation so even if you can have like find like community management or even just like a friend to help you with that sometimes if you are an indie developer and you don't have a dedicated marketing team or marketing person um 
that might be a great way to to not feel hurt and to also maybe respond in a way that that doesn't feel um defensive or or you know shows anything but you know thank you for your thank you for the suggestion have a great day kind of kind of a response <laughs> yeah all of what sarah just said yes we need someone to volunteer as tribute to look through the negative comments just to say i hope you have a good week winky face i will volunteer as such tribute <laughs> exactly <laughs> It's tough. There have been times too we've had to like, okay, read the con and then like give it some time, right? Before you're like responding right away for that reason. Cause sometimes it can be a knee jerk reaction, even if you're not meaning to sound defensive. Like in that example you were saying earlier, Alexis, when somebody says, oh, the lighting's too dark, you know, we could be like, well, it's a work in progress. You know, our level designers are still working on that and we're adjusting the materials and all of that. But, but, you know, it's like, just thank thank you you know we will take that into consideration and move you know sometimes less is more and some time between reading and responding can, can be helpful also again uh pick your battles choose where you uh invest your strength and your time and everything uh, sometimes it helps to just like take a deep breath go have a cup of coffee a beer a wine whatever and then come back with a clearer head and reply to that lovely person. <laughs> what advice would you give a small developer if they're looking to market their first game? Understanding your audience, that's half the battle. And um, keeping marketing top of mind as much as you can. I know, again, some folks are developing a game and trying to market it at the same time, the same people doing the same jobs. And that can be difficult, but try to come up with a plan that works for you. I think planning also is is kind of key as well. And there are a lot of tools too that can like help you. Like if you don't know anything about marketing, for example, there's this awesome like educational series on a platform called HubSpot. Um, and they have like little like videos and it's really easy to digest about, you know, if you want to just learn more about marketing on social media, they have a social media course or they have a search engine optimization course or an email marketing course. Um, there are definitely like resources out there to help you get a better grasp if you're feeling really overwhelmed by like, okay, I don't even know where to start because it, there's a lot of avenues you can go with your marketing. So sometimes just kind of understanding the basics and having your plan and knowing who you're targeting, I think is key for sure. Yeah. Um, I have two like, uh, directions, uh, of my advice. The first one would be try to network as heavily as possible, and that includes organizations. I mean, there are these amazing indie uh, developer organizations such as, and I'm going to destroy this because it's very difficult to say this if you're not a native English speaker. The Indie World Order, it's an amazing uh, community to join. Then you have the indie game business by my good friend Jay Powell, who are, I mean, these two are like super supportive. Um, you're going to find a bunch of resources, um, webinars, um, you name it. If you are ever in need, try to find indie video game developer communities that will help you out a lot. Then the other one, the other advice that I would give. <clears throat> Uh, someone that is making their game. If you want to translate your game and you're gonna use machine translation, aka Google Translate or whatever thing that you just put words on a language and it just comes magically out of the other on a different one, don't. Because you are gonna get hell on these lovely reviews that we were talking uh, about earlier on Steam, on Epic Games Store, on iOS Store, on Play Store, on your mobile, wherever. If you want to market your games to, uh, to other uh, countries where people don't speak English as a first language, don't rely on machine translation because translation is just that, word for word, they translate words, but you need to localize. Uh, when we first started uh, talking before we went live here, we were talking about the fact that I speak Spanish. 
And you know, curse words are the best words to know on a foreign language, you know? And even curse words, if I just put a curse word in English and I tell Google Translate, okay, Google Translate this into Korean or into Spanish, it's not going to make sense. You need someone to know the language that they are translating it for and to be mindful. And also, it's a great way if you can get people that know what they are doing, you are showing the same amount of respect to these players that speak a different language other than English, to the players that speak in English. And also try to keep this in mind as early as possible. Because many devs, <clears throat> I don't, maybe it's because they don't know better or they just uh, stumble across the possibility of marketing their games on a different uh, market with a different language. They don't think about this uh, early enough. So think, for instance, German is 30% longer than English. So if your UI, right, it's not adaptable, or if your UI, your game's UI, it's not long enough, and you decide to, hey, maybe Germany is a great place to market my game. I should translate it. I should localize it into German. Then your localizer is going to have hell making those shortened uh, words and sentences to make the game make the same sense as you aim it to have in your own language. So, long story short, if you're going to localize, do it right. Try to do it as best as possible. If you can't, don't. It's better to go just in English or just in the language that you are making it, rather than just being awful at one or two or any other languages. Sorry if I went too long with this one, but I'm a big localization advocate. I grew up playing games that were terrible with the localization, especially in NES days, in PlayStation 1 days. Uh, I remember playing Silent Hill, the very first one. Then right before you find the radio, there's this pinball machine. And even then with that big AAA company, just such as Konami. Konami, if you're listening to this, stop making football games and make another Silent Hill game, please. Um, the translation was off. It's instead of Machina de Juegos, game machine, it said Jusegos. It's, it's, it wasn't, there was an S there wrong. And that was kind of disrespectful for me. I mean, because they didn't take the time to correct the game, you know? And I can imagine that way back then in 95, 94, 96, it was harder because once the game was out on a, a physical format, that was it. The game was done. The game was out there. But nowadays, you have uh, like live ops constantly. You can change and you can modify and you can get the game better. So I'm going to shut up now because I went way too long. But if you're going to localize, do it right. Otherwise, don't. I think you make a, a good point, though. Like, that's a great way to, like, alienate millions of people without even meaning to. You know what I mean? And then right there, you're losing that uh, viewership, you know, and the, your, your player base. So that's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes, I mean, I mentioned Konami. Uh, and it's freaking Konami. Uh, imagine what can happen with an indie dev. I mean, think of Hades. I love Hades. I told, I talked about Hades at the beginning. When they first came out, their Spanish localization was terrible because it was fan-made. But at the same time, those negative reviews that they got worked on their best work for them because they acted upon them. So that's negative reviews acting for the better because eventually we on the other side of the screen on the joystick uh, want to get the best experience as possible regardless of the language that we speak. You know? 
Yeah, I can attest as a streamer of indie games, um, that is, you know, super helpful when people think through that kind of thing, because as uh, streamers, we're reading out loud all the time, right? So mm-hmm. um, when it's it's easy for us to come across something and we're like, wait, hold on, that doesn't quite sound right. I'm going to kind of correct it for you, but I hope that I'm, you know, speaking what I, what you want me to and everything. Exactly. And if if you want if you as an indie dev listening to this podcast want to know just how many gamers there are that speak spanish uh korean chinese russian german there's this amazing um website called new zoo like new zoo like the zoo where there are animals where you can check it's like uh i don't know uh platform games uh in europe you know and you can get numbers of how your type of game or whatever thing that you look for did at on a certain period of time also statista s-t-a-t-i-a statista i suck at (laughs) spelling in english uh statista it's another good one uh that can help you out with that just narrowing down where to market your game. Yeah. And um, a little plug for a following um, a podcast that we'll be having here um, this fall. Um, and if you're if you're not interested, that's totally fine. No pressure. But we are we are wanting to do a podcast on translating in games and getting together some of our indie devs who have had to translate for their games. And uh, my brother uh, actually used to translate um from japanese to english um for a living over in tokyo for a while nice. um and so we're really excited to have him on and it would be really cool to have you too alexi awesome. have your, you can rant all you want about localization and- <laughs> awesome yeah count me in cool count well in. you'll be hearing from us then <laughs> awesome no problem yeah. thank you yeah absolutely yeah Oh, man. And just thinking about the localization, I remember I had a friend way back in like the year of 1998. Um, the little game called Resident Evil 4 came out, which is like one of the best Resident Evil, at least in my opinion. And my friend wouldn't play it. And I, when I asked them why, it was because the non-zombie zombies, I forgot what they actually called them, um, were speaking some kind of broken Spanish. And so when you would ask, like, what were they saying? It's like, it's not really even Spanish. It's just jumbled of words no it is spanish but i mean gosh do you really want to take me there i'm not gonna stop (laughs) um i actually did a talk i actually did a talk for terror localizations about culturalization in video games which actually is nothing less than to actually accurately portray a culture right check out assassin's creed for example that's like culturalization done right choose anyone any game Assassin's Creed Unity is amazing just for that fact alone but Leon Kennedy right an American dude goes to Spain why are people in Spain living in the 16th century that's a good question right Mm. Uh, why are people in Spain uh, dressing like they are like Amish people or whatever. And the, and like, what's the name of the mayor? And it's like, it's one of the biggest Resident Evil games. There are like more consoles than Resident Evil games. And the same Resident Evil game, it's on the same con on, on all consoles. I mean, culturalization in Resident Evil 4 sucks big time. It sucks. It's terrible. But that doesn't mean that the game is a bad game for just for that mm. but it could help a lot if they did their research okay toledo spain they speak spanish yes but do they live in the 16th century do we want people from toledo to feel insulted do we want people from spain to feel that we are representing them properly or do, or do we just want to make Leon faced people from the 16th century and we just had to locate them somewhere. Mm. The, it, it answers itself, but hey, we're still playing Resident Evil 4 with no remake. No remake. So, I don't know. That's wild, though. Got the VR remake. VR one's coming. 
Really? <laughs> because we have to slap that on every console. Yeah, I mean, oh I, I'm a God. South American. You have no idea how much a VR set cost. So I'm not going to play that remake anytime soon. I have bad eyesight, so I can't use it either. So just. Oh, that sucks, man. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Oh, man. But that has been our podcast for this week. Alexis, Sarah, thank you for joining us. And Sarah, would you like to share your social media with us? Um, sure. Yeah. So you can find us Astral Clock Tower Studios across all socials uh, at ACS underscore games, astralclocktowerstudios.com. And Alexis, where can they find you? Well, um, geez, uh, I'm on LinkedIn and on I'm on LinkedIn as Alexis Biro. That's B-I-R-O. And on Twitter, I am as Astral Bode. That is spelled Astral, as in Astral Clock Tower Studios. B-O-D-E. B-O-D-E. Astral Bode. And thank you so much for listening to the Game Raven Review Podcast. I've been your host, Sam. You can find me on all social media under Sam Said It DFW. And Puppet, where can I find you? am puppet master n that's puppet master e n and i am on twitch um i stream indies on the game raven review twitch channel on friday nights and then um more indies all weekend saturday sunday and then i'm back on mondays with game game raven for the raven parties so come see me i'm on all socials as puppet master n i try to keep it as consistent as possible so you can find me and taz you can find me at TazCDevil3 on all forms of what were we saying last week? So, so, social so social meds. Social meds. On the social meds. Social meds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do stream on Twitch as a variety streamer on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Two player Tuesday. Uh, I'm doing um, it takes two with uh, Puppet right now. So that's been, that's been pretty great. Uh, spooky Saturdays, kind of whatever's fresh on Thursdays, and I do stream on the on the Game Raven uh, Twitch channel on Wednesdays, playing a different indie game every week. Um, so I hope to see you there. And as always, you can find us on Twitter and Twitch under Game Raven Review and our website GameRavenReview.com. Also, join our Discord link is on GameRavenReview.com. Have a fantastic week, and until next time, goodbye.